It's been a good day. Appreciate the guys back in the sound room. We've had a we've had we've had issues throughout this week in the sound room, and especially want to thank Pastor Danny. He's put in a lot of time and Gabe, and I don't think they got a bunch of the guys are here. Oscar, you were here Saturday. You guys, although I heard there was food involved too. Um, is that true? Okay. All right. Well, keep the tech guys well fed. It's a good plan. So I appreciate them and uh, appreciate your patience with us as we, you know. It, it just never, doesn't matter. You, we, we can leave everything and, and put it wherever it is and we, nobody touch it for a week. And when you turn it on a week later, it's different. It just, it's just, you know, Satan used to fall in the choir loft and I think he's spread out in sound room too. Next, also in addition to that second row. <laughs> Sorry, not Lydia. Maybe the two end pieces, that might be possible there, but... Lydia and Tommy? No, no. That's 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 the that's the stronger, the better better angels of our nature or something. You know, DT's right next to you right there. You put, Kyle, you know, you need that's what you need. All right. Um yeah, you're the best. Um also before I get started, I want to thank the Lord for the the wonderful offering we had last week. Um the last several weeks. Um you know, just, just how we roll around here. I've done it this way for a long time. No, it's probably not the corporate way to do it, but we, we give away a lot of money. And last week we gave Brother Mike Kelly, I hope you enjoyed Mike Kelly last Sunday, him and Jennifer. Uh, we gave them a very generous love offering, which I want to thank you for. We had recently given some uh, a pretty good offering to a love gift to Nathan and uh, J.P. Jordan. Uh, you know, the passing of Haley, it was such a difficult time. This little, little baby's doing pretty good, isn't he, Tay? JP doing pretty good. Um, so, and we, we gave an offering to the pregnancy center and different, and we, we, and the behind the scenes, there's a lot of folks that when you give, that, that we help as a church, as God leads us. We really do. And last week was one of those weeks where things were kind of tight in terms of year to date. And I, I said, no, we, when God's servants come through, I want to treat them well. And I have found in my years here, and I think my treasurer would agree with me, that when we have been generous with God's servants, and as the church has been very generous with me, God has always given us above and beyond. Now, we have a lot of things here at church that we're currently developing. We need, we need some capital improvements around our building here. Um, and we're working on presenting some of those things to you here, uh, at least in my mind, it's going to be shortly so we need to save some money is what it what it is we on top of it but we're going to keep helping folks in in time so appreciate your faithfulness and praise god for it all right uh i'm going to continue our series this morning out of exodus uh while we were jenny and i were gone back in january i, I read through the book of exodus several times and as i read through the book when the lord spoke to me in a passage in an area i just kind of took note of it wrote it down and then when i got back I thought, you know i think i'll write a sermon series uh, through the book of exodus and as a general title i called it getting out of egypt and that's kind of, you know, the story of Exodus is God getting the children of Israel out of Egypt. And it's a picture of, of us through the blood of Christ, through the Passover, uh, being declared righteous and then going through the, 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 the Red Sea and heading towards the promised land and learning how to live victoriously in our Christian life. Now, um, our text this morning is going to be in Exodus chapter 3, and let's just read the first uh, six verses this morning, right? The Bible says, Now Moses uh, kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even Horeb. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, and why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look on God. I want to talk to you this morning, our sermon title this morning in our series is Standing on Holy Ground. Standing on Holy Ground. Let's, let me have a quick word of prayer and let's get into this uh, passage this morning. Lord, thank you again for the day today. Thank you for the singing. And, and Lord, it's a blessing to see the young people, uh, children um, sing praises unto you. Uh, Lord, I pray now as we take a few minutes, look into your word. I pray that we would focus on the issues in our own life. Help us to see where you're calling us and uh, help us to recognize we're standing on holy ground. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, last week, many of you know, as I mentioned, my good friend, uh, Pastor Mike Kelly was here, and they were here for the weekend, and Jen and I were able to spend some time with them. They are some of our very best friends in ministry. They've been our friends for many years, and we get together and laugh. Um, I, we, we didn't get kicked out of any restaurants, did we? Not, not this year. Uh, usually Mike, Pastor Mike gets us picked, kicked out of somewhere because he laughs. I love his laugh. When he laughs, he kind of does this... <laughs> thing when he laughs and just cracks me up so whenever I think something's funny and we're laughing then he laughs then pretty soon I'm laughing at what at him <laughs> don't tell him um, but we were at lunch and somehow we got on the crazy topic of how as pastors and men we drive our wives crazy and he began to tell me how one of the things that drives his wife crazy is when he takes off his shoes and his socks that he has to have his wife or he has to smell his socks and then he wants his wife to smell his socks. Now, this led to a conversation, and, he, and I said, oh, our, our men at our church would love that issue. And he goes, no way. I said, yes, they would. I said, I dare you to do it. I dare you to tell them, tell them from the pulpit. I don't care. Ask them. And apparently he did. And apparently in the Odd Baptist Church, there's a lot of losers. There is a lot of losers, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on how many of you wives are committed enough to your husbands that when your husband says, here, smell my sock, that you actually do it. I was not married to one of those. My wife is not quite as trainable, apparently, um, but I thought that was the craziest thing ever. And then, of all things, I thought to myself as I started prepping for this week, I said, now I have to write a sermon. God tells me to write a sermon about when Moses took off his shoes. I said to myself, I don't know if back in those days, if in the Hebrew it says that they wore socks. I don't know. You know, I'm not that learned. I don't know. But I thought to myself, as Moses is there at Mount Horeb and sees the burning bush and God says, take off your shoes. If he had socks on, if Moses is taking off his socks and looking at the burning bush and looking at his smelly socks, should I smell them? I'm just going to say, Brother Mike, I don't think so. I don't think that was the thing. So if you're godly here this morning, men, please don't, don't do that to your wife. You know, can I get an amen from the women? I, don't, I suppose my wife. Okay. No, you don't want to say amen because that would expose you as one of the ones that your husband's a loser. Um, just kidding this morning. 
But it is interesting in this well-known story in Exodus chapter 3 that Moses is along doing his thing on the backside of the desert there and something he'd done many times before we get the impression that he'd named this mountain the mountain of God um, that he knew that exact place been there and he was doing his normal thing as a, as a shepherd doing his thing and all of a sudden this strange thing he sees out of the corner of his eye it violated his otherwise normal daily routine but as he turns aside and looks deeper into it he has an encounter with God and God speaks to him in an unusual way matter of fact in verse number three notice Moses says I will now turn aside and see this and then the Bible goes on to make a point and says and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see that God then called unto him I thought it was interesting that God does the initial contact with Moses by bringing an unexpected circumstance into his life. He'd been, a, he'd been in this area. He'd been a shepherd. He knew all about it. The ins and outs. Been there for 39, 40 years doing this. And all of a sudden, one day, something he did not expect to see, something he'd never seen before, an issue he'd never confronted before, all of a sudden it's over there. And, you know, he says to himself, I think I'm going to go check this out. I'm going to look into this a little deeper. I thought it was interesting that how God ultimately set a choice in front of him. Here's this burning of a strange thing. You can go look at it, check it out, or you cannot. You can just, you know, I thought it was interesting. You know, God could have done things different. I thought to myself, if God really wanted to talk to Moses, you think he could have made Moses talk to him? Probably, surely. Could not God, and he's done it before, God just come out of heaven and said, Moses. You know, which he did at Jesus' baptism. Could have done that. I think that would have got Moses' attention, don't you think? But instead, he sets an unusual event in the life of Moses and challenges Moses to check it out. And God initiated the contact in an unusual way, in a way that I would not have planned or thought of. And yet, then Moses goes and checks it out, and then God speaks to him. I don't want to give a full analogy here, but I think there's certainly some element of it. And, and in my personal life, I think this has been true in my spiritual journey with God, that oftentimes the time that God speaks to me the most is in the circumstances of my life that I don't understand and never expected. And maybe this morning, something's going on in your life that you look at it and say, no way this should be like a bush that is on fire, but it is not being consumed. It's not supposed to work that way. When something's on fire, especially that kind of fire, that bush should be burned up into, you know, little cinders in, in just a moment. That's not happening. And you may have something in your life and it's unusual. You're going through your daily routine and there's some issue in your family or some area of your life. And, and you're going, I do not understand what's going on here. Sometimes those are the very circumstances that we need to have the courage to look into a little bit more deeply. And they may, if we respond correctly, the very types of circumstances that God will call out to us. The place you'll hear him the most. And Moses looks into it and I love how God calls to him. And in our text, you notice when he turns aside to look in verse number four, the Bible says, God says to him, Moses, Moses. 
He calls him by name. Here, this bush is on fire, and Moses comes over to check it out, and all of a sudden the bush going, Moses, Moses. Isn't it awesome to recognize that God knows your name? And that when he brings an unusual circumstance sometimes in your life, it may not be a circumstance that is going to speak to me or speak to somebody else, but God is calling you because God understands your circumstance and all the things you're feeling, all the, the fears you're going through, all the decisions that lay before you. And in those circumstances that you may not understand, that may be where God is reaching and he's going to call you by name and say, hey, I have something here for you. Now we understand, and I'm going to deal with this a little bit more in a few moments, but the burning bush, this, the Bible tells us in verse number two, the angel of the Lord, and some people want to argue, is this God or not? And specifically, is it Jesus Christ? I think we can be pretty confident this is the Lord Jesus pre-incarnate. And we certainly know it's deity and he is deity because, you know, he later on says, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So this is just not some, oh, that was just an angel. No, this, this was the incarnate God. I believe this is Jesus Christ, the God of all God. Matter of fact, you remember later on in Jesus' ministry in the Gospels, what got uh, him in so much trouble with the Pharisees is because when they said, who are you? And Jesus basically said, I am. And they got all mad and wanted to kill him. And people don't understand that passage because when Jesus said, I am, he was referring to this very passage where God appeared to Moses and, and says, I am is the one that's going to send you. Jesus was equating himself to God and I, he was God, he is God. And this is Jesus right here in your scriptures in the Old Testament. Um, and yet he speaks out of this burning bush and, and certainly it, what a picture of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ as Jesus died on a cross, was judged for my sin and your sin and the sin of the whole world. And yet death could not consume him. Aren't you glad for that? That the bush was judged, but it wasn't consumed. That Jesus lives and he rose from the dead and he calls out to you and I. And I would tell you in a, in a span of evangelism or in God's desire to have a relationship with you, please understand that God is calling to you. Uh, don't, don't believe some of the, the, the lies and fallacies that folks tell from pulpits today that, that God's desire is only for the elect, so to speak, to be saved. The Bible's clear in 1 Timothy 2.4. God says, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, that Jesus is the God man. Jesus saith unto him in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That Jesus is the only way. And Jesus himself said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you don't know him as your savior today, if you don't, haven't taken his substitutionary death on the cross for you, the payment for your sin, he's calling out to you today. And by simple faith, you can receive it as you would receive a gift. Would you receive him today? You see, Moses has this encounter with God and takes off his shoes. And God says, take off your shoes because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. You know, the idea of taking off your shoes in a holy place is, um, is still, we still find it relevant in our world today. If you were to go around the world and visit any mosque, um, I got some pictures here. If you were to go, you, you will always find that before you enter into a mosque that your shoes are required or a Hindu temple. Same deal. If you go into a Hindu temple, you, you have to take that up. Matter of fact, it doesn't really matter who you are. Um, I have a picture here of a, uh, forget, I can have my picture back there, Allison. You know, I've got uh, 
old dogs loom their tracks. It's hard. Um, we get, uh, you know, there's President Obama. I don't really, I'm picking out no President Obama. Don't read into that. President Bush did it too. And, and you know, it's, it's part of the culture when you're there and part of the, their observance because shoes picture dirt. And, and when you enter a place that's holy, you don't want the common touching that which is holy. I, do you understand that? Matter of fact, maybe the best analogy. Any of y'all grew up in a house that your mom said whenever you came in the house, you had to take your shoes off? I'm just curious. You got two hands, three, you got seven, all right. And the rest of you got to wear your shoes in the house. I'm a shoe in the house kind of guy because my feet hurt so bad, you know, um, which is why one of our men here in our church, a good teacher, brother, uh, brother Wright back there, he started a channel. If you're not subscribed, go to YouTube, subscribe to Barefoot Bible. Um, his channel's based on this passage right here. And, um, you know, and it, it, it's it certainly making everyday things uh, uh, encounter the holy things of, of God. And I would encourage you. What I like about your channel is you do short. You do short little things. They're like five, eight minutes or something. You know, from what I hear from your son, you were kind of a long-winded pastor in your day. So I don't, I don't know. What ha- Maybe there's hope for me, brother, right? Maybe there's hope for me that I can trim down. You know, Pastor Danny and Pastor Cody are still way out here. Um, but no, just kidding. Um, Bottom line is, God says take your, your shoes off because we're on holy ground. Now, when you think, what does that mean, holy? The, the Hebrew word is kodesh. Let's, since you're all here and you're awake still, let's say it together. Kodesh, kodesh. Now you all know a Hebrew word, all right? It's used many times in the Old Testament, and then we'll find the, the, the hakias in the New Testament, I believe is what it is the, for the Greek word. But... What does that really mean? The root word comes from the word that means apartness or separate. And basically the idea is that God is separate from us. He's not like us. And he's not like us in many ways, but in the main thing, we are sinful and he is not. We are impure and he is pure. He is, he is set apart. So today it means pure or sacred. Now, there are many things in the Bible that are called holy. Anybody think of anything in the Bible that's called holy? God, you get that Pastor Cody with all his college education. I love that PCC degree. Appreciate that. Now you're right. He's most holy. Um, I found this interesting. Even in the book of Exodus alone, if, and I didn't even list all of them, so this is not exclusive, but here you go. Just in the book of Exodus, there's the holy Sabbath. There's a holy habitation. There's a holy place. There's holy garments. There's holy oil. And there's a holy crown, the, the thing the high priest wore. That's a lot of holies, isn't it? But if you go to the rest of the Bible, not only is there holy ground, but there's a holy city, a holy people, holy prophets, holy apostles, holy priesthood of believers, holy men, holy women, whew, uh, holy faith, holy angels, holy scripture, holy name, holy bodies, my favorite, holy kiss, holy hands, and holy calling. Holy, that's a lot of holies. It's a holy book. Um, and I like holy hands, lifting holy hands. That means lifting a hand out of purity to God, recognizing his holiness, his purity. But ultimately, holiness just means that it's something is set apart. Um, like the holy prophets. They're not just prophets, but they're set apart prophets. There's the holy garments that the high priest wore. It, it, it means that these are garments that the high priest wore only when he did his priestly things and they were separate from his everyday stuff. 
Maybe in your house, like mine, we had, the, we had the common dishes, which is the dishes you used every single day, but probably somewhere in your house, you've got a, maybe you have a china closet that has grandma's great china in it, you know, it's all silver line. That, that is its own place, its own beautiful cabinet, and it only gets used, never, <laughs> um, but it only gets used at special times. Can I get a witness? I have moved, I have moved holy china all over the United States so that it can stay in boxes or in special cabinets, but it is set apart. And yes, that, I got to get a witness there, but it's okay. It's okay. It's, we're not bitter. It's okay. Um, it's all, it's all good. It's holy. And ultimately the whole reason you need Jesus Christ as your personal savior is because we need holiness to live with a holy God for eternity. Now, God encounters a holy man, unholy men in, in our lives here, and he has an ongoing relationship with the prince of darkness. But in terms of eternal residence with God, a holy God cannot live in eternal presence of unholiness. So God is holy and we are not. We need holiness. And there's no way... I don't care how many church services you go to. I don't care how many times you're baptized. I don't know how many times you memorize this, that, or the other. There is no work of man that God is ever going to be able to say, oh, you're good enough now. No, you're always going to be a sinner. The only hope for you is if God gives you holiness. And the way God gave you holiness is to pay for your sin by putting my sin and your sin on the, the sinless one, Jesus Christ. And then Jesus took our judgment on the cross and then he conquered death, proving he could overcome that. And now Jesus through faith offers you his holiness. What a gift. What a gift. You see, that's why the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us. Jesus didn't know anything about sin. God had to put sin and make him sin on the cross there for you and I. And he goes on, who knew no sin, why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. No hope for you and I to earn it. It's only through an act of God as we, by faith, trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that God then baptizes us into Christ through the Holy Spirit of God and declares us righteous and gives us holiness. You see, it's called holy ground because God is there. There was nothing unusual Moses has probably been by here many times, but all of a sudden God's presence is there. And because God is there, now that place is set apart. It's holy. And God's there in a very powerful manifestation. Yes, I understand that God is everywhere present. There's nowhere that God is not. But God does not reveal his manifestation in, level, in, in his presence in, in the same equally everywhere. And here we find that God powerfully manifests his presence and says, Moses, take off your shoes because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. I'm so glad that after you and I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life that God's simply offering you, we receive his holiness, that God declared us holy because of the work of Jesus. One of my favorite chapters that used to not be because... Whew, there's any chapter of the Bible I've thought more discussion over. It's Ephesians chapter 1. And um, I'm so thankful to understand that Ephesians chapter 1 is not about God choosing people to salvation. It's about God saying in eternity past, for this is what I'm going to, I know man's going to sin. 
this is what I'm going to do for man if he believes in me and the gift uh, that I'm going to offer him through my son. And anybody that chooses by faith the, the, the gift of eternal life through Jesus is going to be placed in Christ, which is, uh, you, you, Paul says it over and over in Ephesians chapter 1, in Christ, in whom, over and over and over. I don't know how people miss it. But he begins in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 3, Blessed be the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, notice this, in Christ. So here's all the blessings, heavenly blessings you're going to receive if you're in Christ. According as he hath chosen us before the foundation of the world, this is what he chose, that we should be what? Holy. Number one. Because if you don't have holiness, all the other blessings don't matter. Holy and without blame before him in love. Boy, I'm thankful for the love of God that he paid the price he took on human flesh. I just cannot imagine an infinite God clothing himself in flesh that he could save you and save me. And because we now are holy and been positionally declared holy in our stand before God, then because of that, in this life that we still live in the flesh, so I still do things wrong, I still make mistakes, but our goal as we yield to the Holy Spirit, Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 1.15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, of lifestyle, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, there's two things when I thought about Moses standing on holy ground that I came away with when I, on the cruise ship, I was thinking about Moses on his face, I think, they're hiding his face from the presence of a holy God. When we see the response, the first thing I noticed is in Exodus chapter 3 and down in verse number 11, Moses says to God, number one, who am I? There's two questions that come when standing on holy ground. The first one is, who am I? Moses' first response when he was on holy ground, when he got a, 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 a glimpse of God, was recognizing his own sinfulness and weakness. And as a Christian, pride is the enemy of the power of God and the presence of God in your life. When you and I get full of ourselves and think we know what we're doing and we don't need to consult and consider what God has to say about something, boy, I'll tell you what, mark it down every time you're going to find yourself in trouble. Moses doesn't say, hey, no problem, God, I got this. You want me to do what? No, no problem. No, Moses says, who am I? You know, Moses had the opposite problem. No, he needed to be built up. He needed to have some things. But the bottom line is Moses needed to learn that the, 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 the power was the presence of God in his life. And he was like John the Baptist who said, he must increase and I must decrease. And Moses was not the only one that saw his weakness and sinfulness when he was encountering the presence of God. I mean, maybe one of my favorite passages in all the scriptures in Isaiah chapter 6. Remember that one when the year that King Uzziah died? I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and his twain filled the temple, and above it stood the seraphim, and each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto the other and said, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, the prophet Isaiah here, woe is me. For I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. 
You know, there's a brokenness and an awareness of my sinfulness when I'm getting in the presence of God. Whenever I've been privileged to get away on maybe a pastoral retreat and I get in the quietness, oftentimes the Holy Spirit is, brings things to me and attitudes that I've adopted and um, that I didn't see. But whenever you can tell that someone's having a powerful walk with God, one of the traits they will carry is there's a teachable spirit. Too many Christians get in this attitude, well, I know it all. Or we have our rules, and look at the way we do things. That's a manifestation of an ungodly spirit. There's an attitude of forgiveness towards others. But I'll tell you, whenever we're doing what we ought not do, what I find is I just don't want to take my feet, my shoes off. I still have them on. I'm not recognizing them on holy ground. You know, one of my most challenging verses is found in Psalm 139. And verse 23, the Bible says, search me. Notice, notice the focus on me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I find it a lot easier for me to evaluate God do a work in their heart. God show them how wrong they are. Lord, tell my spouse where they're in the wrong as opposed to someone that's walking in the presence of God and is where they're standing on holy ground, has an awareness, who am, who am I? The second thing, and we'll be done this morning, notice the second one, we're going to leave Exodus, and I want to show you that the only other time in Scripture that we find this same circumstance, um, it's repeated in the book of Joshua. So if you have your Bibles, if not, I think Allie has it on the board, but we're going to go to Joshua chapter number 5 in closing this morning. I want to show you the second one. And we'll be done. Uh, Joshua chapter number 5. Um, Joshua and the people have now crossed over the Jordan River. They've seen God separate the water. And then they get on the other side. And then they spend some time in preparation. And now we find this interesting story at the end of Joshua chapter 5, beginning in verse number 13. All right, Joshua 5, 13. The Bible says, And it came to pass... When Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place wherein thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. So Moses is the one who takes over after Moses passes off the scene, Joshua he also has a powerful encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. This time, Jesus appears as a powerful soldier, and the same thing that he appears, apparently is off to the side here with the sword, and Joshua sees him, and again, just like Moses, Joshua goes to find out who, who, what, what this person is about, and then is identified that this is God uh, appearing to him, and he falls on his face in worship. Now, again, I believe this is the pre-incarnate Jesus, just as Moses had seen at the, at the burning bush. And again, Jesus is clearly God. I know one of the most difficult doctrines of all of Christianity is the doctrine of the Trinity. And I really prefer the, uh, the term the triune God, but that God is three and God is one. Um, the other day, 
I saw a quote by Dr. Jason Lyle, uh, who's a wonderful teacher, especially when it comes to the creationism. But Dr. Lyle said this, if we are to have a correct understanding of God, then we must accept what God has said about himself. If you really want to understand God, then you've got to accept what God says about himself. And where does he say it? He says it in his word. So what does the Bible teach us? Well, from Genesis chapter 1, and Brock and I have had discussions about this. Many people think the manifestation of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit doesn't really appear until the New Testament. I don't think that's true. From Genesis, he begins by right away saying, let us make man in our image. He uses the uh, Hebrew word Elohim, which is a plural word. And I'm not a Hebrew expert, but the, the, the Hebrew plural there in Hebrew, if it's two, you have a separate word. So it means three or more in, in a Hebrew mindset. And so um, understand, and, and Dr. Lyle used an interesting illustration, and it is not a perfect illustration, but I think it gets somewhat of the truth across because I can't understand how God can be three and God can be one because I believe there's one God. But Dr. Lyle points out that in nature, there's many things that are one in one sense and more than one in a different sense. He said the physical universe is one universe, but it is three in terms of components. It is space, time, and matter, right? Furthermore, there is only one space, but space is in three dimensions, height, depth, and width. Now, I think there might be more dimensions, but actually, that's another discussion. But time is one dimension, but has three aspects, past, present, and future. So you can, you can have three things, and yet they can be one of this and three of the others. God is, is, is one being and three persons. And, and I think here, the Lord Jesus Christ has this encounter with Joshua, and he tells him to take off his shoes because he too is on holy ground. Now, the response that he has, as we read in the story, Joshua looks at him when he realizes this is God in front of him and I'm on holy ground. He says, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Moses says, woe am I, I am undone, I'm, I'm not worthy. Joshua's response is now, okay, this is God. God, what do you want me to do? And he was willing to do whatever God told him. Now understand, Joshua had a big obstacle in front of him, the city of Jericho. Here he brought all these people that used to be slaves and now they're going to take on the most powerful city of that region. But Joshua believed Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Isn't it interesting that here Joshua is and he has this encounter and he falls on his face and he says to, the, to God, what is it you want me to do? Now, if I have a problem in front of me like Joshua did and I had to come up with a plan of how to do it, I would have said, okay, Lord, what I need to take Joshua or to take Jericho is I need some Abrams A1C tanks. I need a, I need a squadron of A10 warthogs. Maybe a couple B1 bombers for high altitude stuff and we will take that city of Jericho out, Right? right. I think it'd work. That's not what God says, is it? He tells him, go, all right, why don't you take the people? I want you to walk one time around the city and I don't want you to say nothing. Keep your mouths quiet. I don't care if they're mocking you from the walls. I don't care if they're ridiculing you. You just march around once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, I want you to do it seven times. And at the seventh time, when you get done, then we're going to blow the trumpets. Then you're going to shout. 
You imagine Joshua coming back to the people and saying, hey, hey, man, I've had an encounter with God. We've got the plans. And he gets all his generals together and says, hey, what's the plan? Well, here's the plan. We're going to walk around and say nothing. <laughs> Joshua, I don't know what you've been drinking, Joshua. I don't know. You know, God's ways are not our ways. And I would just tell you, if you have some obstacle in your life, some adversary that's in your life, however you initially in your flesh feel like you should respond, mark it down, it's wrong. It'll feel right, and you'll be able to justify it. It'll make a lot of sense that this is how you got to do it, but it'll be 100% wrong. When Jesus came, he, on the Sermon on the Mount, said, blessed are the merciful, Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemaker. You see, holy ground is God's presence in our life. And when we are seeking God in his ways, we'll ask him, God, what do you want me to do? You know, one of the sobering things as I was thinking about this was ultimately, you know, when you and I got saved, the Bible teaches that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit and we were baptized into Christ and that the Holy Spirit indwells us he's here with us isn't it interesting that at pentecost when the holy spirit came how did he come in what manner in a cloven tongue of fire in other words as first corinthians six nineteen says paul goes what know ye not that your body is the temple of the holy ghost which is in you and I thought about this and I said, so in reality for us today who live after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and after Pentecost, if holy ground is wherever the presence of God is, and if the presence of God is indwelled in me, then everywhere I go is holy ground. That was a little sobering to me. I understand that we mostly, oh yeah, I understand I got saved and God's with me. No, 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 no. Understand that God says where his presence is, is holy ground. So everywhere you and I take God's presence, we take him right with us. God's presence is there when we speak those words, bitter words, profane words, cutting words. God's presence is there at home, at work, in the car the thoughts that we think, the unforgiveness we hold, the guilt we refuse to release, the pride of our own way. I thought, wow, what a privilege and a fearful responsibility. If you encounter the presence of God, the two things are going to come up. God, I recognize my own sinfulness. And number two, God, what do you want me to do? A friend of mine told me, and I don't know if this is true, so we have some movie aficionados here this morning, but one of my favorite movies of all time that came out many years ago now, um, and it isn't totally factually right, but boy, do, imagine if they made movies like this today. Remember the old Prince of Egypt? Classic movie that showed reverence to the things of God and things. A friend of mine pointed out something that I found very interesting. The scene in this movie where Moses meets God at the burning bush and, and God says to him, who made man's mouth and, you know, all these things. And Moses takes off his shoes. Um, this person who knows movies much better than I said, you know, one of the things I noticed about it is 
from that point on in the movie, whenever you see Moses in the movie, he's always without shoes. I thought that was fascinating. Why? Because remember what God told Moses? Certainly my presence is with you. Right? That's a promise. So therefore, wherever Moses went now, whether it was in the palace, whether it was in the back, he was standing on holy ground. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for the teaching of your word. Thank you for your forgiveness and your mercy. Um, that you loved us enough not just to make demands and tell us we had to do this, that, or the other, but you came and you paid the price. And all that you ask of us is to make a choice to choose you and by faith receive the gift you're offering. Lord, I pray if there's one here this morning that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, uh, maybe there's one listening to my voice online or somewhere, Lord, I pray, and dear friend, I pray, would you trust Jesus today as your Savior? Uh, he died for you, he loves you, he knows your name. And um, he's calling out to you this morning. Would you trust him? But how about a dear Christian? You know, and the things you do, maybe you have an obstacle in front of you this morning that is just, just um, uh, something you don't know what to do. You don't know how to respond. Um, it's time to get alone with God and seek God. Say, God, what is it you'd ask me to do? Holy Spirit of God, I pray you'd seal decisions. Thank you so much for how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're going to say goodbye to our online people. Thank you for listening this morning. And uh, we offline now, guys.